please be seated and turn with your Bibles, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, um, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 21 for our part 4 of our Advent series. In this Advent season, we have been looking at the prophecies and promises surrounding the coming of Christ. We have seen this through the promised birth of John the Baptist, the promised birth of Jesus, the birth of John the Baptist, and now, Lord willing, in a moment, the birth of Jesus Christ. Both Randon and Billy have done an excellent job of tying these passages to the bigger biblical picture having us look not only in our immediate context, but all the way back to the beginning and seeing how over and over these scenes, these moments are in fulfillment of very particular prophecies. And this shows us the unity of the Bible and it uh, gives us further certainty as to what is taking place. If you look at chapter 1 as a whole, uh, we come to realize that the promised one is coming. That the greatest gift of all time is on its way. The Savior will be here soon. In fact, the birth of John the Baptist marked the arrival. Being an immediate um, surety. And you would expect at such a moment, at at such a a historical event, at, at such an important time, you would expect the scene to match it, wouldn't you? You would expect a grand welcome. You would expect people around, surrounding them. You would expect a prominent place. You would expect all of these things. If this king was to be who the prophecies had said he would be, if if the king was to do everything that he was promised to do, you would expect everyone to be ready and everyone to be looking and everyone to just be on their toes for here he comes. And yet that could not be farther from what we get. Instead, we turn to a barn. <laughs> I know that, that like barn-like furniture and barn-like accents are really in right now. Um, but don't think like this is some like trendy thing going on that they chose a barn. Um, no, this is out of necessity. And yet, this is exactly where God wanted them to be. Make no mistake, this was not some coincidental accident, and we'll talk about that this morning. But this is precisely where God wanted Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus to be for his glory and for his purpose, and we find that in our passage this morning. With that being said, would you please look with me and follow along, either in your Bibles or on the insert um, inside of your bulletin, as I read for us our passage this morning. This is the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 2. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, 
keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. The grass withers and the flower may fall, but the word of the Lord will stand forever. Let us now go to him in prayer and ask his blessing upon this time. Would you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, if this scene, if this moment in history that we have heard from your mouth this morning, from your word, if it does not stir our hearts, we need to check them. Lord, what a beautiful, glorious moment in time. Help us to appreciate and to enjoy it for what it is and what it has done and what it will do. I pray that you do open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts today. May we be filled with the majesty and the awe and the wonder of the shepherds, of Mary and of Joseph, and all those that witnessed this time of birth. Lord, would you be with your people now? We need you. We pray all of this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. There is a subtle but important picture here in our passage. You could almost call it the tale of two kings. Caesar Augustus is introduced in verses 1 and 2, albeit briefly. But what do we know about this king? Well, we know that he is the emperor Octavian, called Augustus by the Roman Senate. We know that he is responsible for ushering in an era of extraordinary peace in the Roman Empire at the end of years of civil war and strife. And now, the poet Virgil, about 40 BC, he spoke about a day of coming peace when nature would be removed and sin and guilt would be no more. And during this reign it began to be whispered about the empire that the new golden age had begun to dawn under the last Caesar, or at last under Caesar and his reign in Rome. An altar had been built, the Ara Augustae, the great altar of peace. 
to celebrate his reign and the peace that he ushered in. Some of the, the Greek cities in Asia Minor began um, changing their calendars uh, to the first day of the year as Caesar's birthday, September 23rd. There's a, uh, an inscription uh, that we know exists to Augustus that calls him the savior of the world. He, in one hand, really embodies from a worldly perspective political power and political might and really the extent of a, of a worldly kingdom, what it can do. And yet for all of these inscriptions, for all of these titles, for all of this information about him, he simply serves as a catalyst for that true prince to come. He simply serves as, as a, a piece of movement, uh, the, the, the tool that God uses to get Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem for Christ to be born, the true prince of peace, the true one that would bring rest to the empire, the, the true one that would save his people from their sin. As, as great as Caesar is and as great as his might extended and as great in all the things that he had done, it pales in comparison to this child. And so really, we've got in our text the tale of two kings. And the kingdom of Jesus will be very different. It will look different. And we know that from his birth story. We know that from how he was born, when he was born, who was present, who was not present. And so this morning, I want us to consider just how important this narrative is for us. Again, it, it's not what we would expect. It is in a lot of ways, opposite of what we would expect to see. But we see in, in three, four movements just how important Christ would be. In the first seven verses, we see that peace comes through a shock in the system, through a city brought low. Peace comes through a city brought low. The location of his birth tells us a great deal and teaches us who he would be. Verses 8 through 14 teaches us to offer glory to the Lamb of God who's in a manger. Again, very against or opposite of that which you would expect. The Lamb in a manger. Verses 15 to 20, they show us that we must offer praise as we see praise from shepherds who heard and saw the good news. Of all those that could be there to announce his coming and to magnify him and to lift him up, we get a bunch of dirty shepherds proclaiming this good news. And all of this capstones in verse 21, when he is named, and we see that Yahweh's salvation has come. So we'll walk through each of these movements looking at the the response or the reaction either from the place or from the people to learn about this unexpected Savior and just why He truly is the Prince of Peace. Would you follow along with me? We'll begin um, looking at peace comes from a city brought low. 
And we can admit, I, I do think it's, it's appropriate to understand that it does seem almost accidental that it was Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph did not consider which town would have the best hospitals, the best lodging, or the nicest places to eat when it came time to birth their child, as many of us frantically do um, around um, that event in our lives. Instead, they answer a summons from Caesar. Caesar says, I'm going to count everyone so you can get taxed, and they say, okay, we'll go and get counted so we can be taxed. That is how the location of the birth of Christ happens. And so it, it would be very easy to chalk it up to happenstance. Oh, it was just Bethlehem because that's where they went. If we didn't already have prophecy saying that it would be Bethlehem. And so we, we take this that, that seems almost accidental, almost inconsequential, and we find out, no, it's precisely what it needs to be. And let's take a moment and think about Bethlehem. Um, and for most people, when we think about Bethlehem, we think of the birth of Christ. And we go, oh, Bethlehem. But um, Bethlehem is actually known for two major events in the Bible prior to the birth of Christ. The first of which is one, if you've not been in the Old Testament lately, particularly the book of Judges, you've probably forgotten or cast out of your memory. The book of Judges, in Judges 19 and 20, as the nation is falling further and further into sin... It depicts a group of men violating a woman to death after trying to capture her husband. This act is so disturbing, and pardon me for being crass, but the man cuts the woman into pieces and mails the pieces to the tribes of Israel in order to summon them to deal with Benjamin, who is residing in Bethlehem. So Bethlehem... And the book of Judges becomes the location for a great act of defilement. And it's where Benjamin is almost completely destroyed as a tribe. Due to the sin allowed in its borders. Not usually what we think about when we think about this city. And we go, oh, Bethlehem, the birth of Jesus. Um, where most people would go, oh, Bethlehem, that great defiled place. But it's okay um, to, to kind of have that that. that calmer reaction, because we do know elsewhere in Scripture, um, Bethlehem is the location of the birth of King David. And so we get a, a, an uptick in, in um, you know, its reviews, um, where this is where David was born, the great king of the Old Testament. First Samuel 16 records for us that he was from Bethlehem. Samuel would anoint David in Bethlehem, marking his kingship there. Later on, and still in the, the story of David, in the book of Ruth, um, Ruth and Naomi returned to Bethlehem in order to seek refuge of Boaz, who would later marry Ruth as her kinsman redeemer, and them being descendants of King David. And so while Bethlehem has this, this kind of less than ideal past, it also becomes a place represented of kings and of safety and of redemption. It's known for its great potential acts of sin and as a city of hope. And we take that, that idea of hope and we go to the book of Micah where Micah gives us very clearly that there was nowhere else the Savior was going to be born. Micah chapter 5 verse 2. You, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who were too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me 
one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. Now, what a prophecy. You are too little and too insignificant for most things. You are the least of which when it is considered amongst all the others. But from you will come forth a ruler who is coming forth from old, ancient of days. Now putting all this together, we, we see what, what could be quickly dismissed as happenstance. It becomes precise. The fact that Christ was born in Bethlehem fulfills ancient prophecy and further attests to who he is and what he came to do. And isn't it interesting that, that this city, historically known for great sin and great hope, would be the location of peace? What a powerful metaphor to what Christ came to do. Christ came to bring peace to those who are wicked and dead in their sin. Christ came to bring peace to those who have troubled past. Christ came to bring peace by fulfilling the promise made in the garden as the ancient of days. The seed of the woman would crush the seed of the serpent. Let me just say this morning, dear brothers and sisters, without Christ, there cannot be peace. And with Christ, there is no circumstance, there is no event, there is no troubled past, there is no great sin, that it cannot be covered. In Him, there can and there will be peace. That is assured to us. Just as His coming is assured, true peace comes from Christ, the Savior. And so first we see that a city brought low, this little city, is the place of peace. But then secondly, we see the next part of this birth story, and that is a manger. Glory to the Lamb of God laid in a manger. Verses 8 through 14. We read in verse 7 that Mary laid the baby Jesus in a manger because there is no room for him in the inn. And then we cut over in this section to a bunch of shepherds. Not noble people, not royalty, not messengers that would spread the good news, but shepherds. Dirty, cast out. They were often the unsavory ones. You didn't really want them in town. You didn't really want them around the other people. They liked to be outside by themselves with a bunch of animals. Like, are you getting the picture here? They were the shepherds. They were necessary, but they were necessary over there. That's where we get this revelation, this, this, this moment of proclamation. And that's to whom the angels visit. And, and the angels... Say, this is how you'll know who the Savior will be. You will find him in the penthouse with the finest of care, and he is being watched over by a host of servants, and they are watching over him and being very sterile and doing everything that is needed, that he has got the best chance at survival. No. <laughs> you will find him in a barn, in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. It's a feed trough. It's dirty. Animals have licked it. 
Like it is, it is about the most un- unsanitary thing you can think of, at least in, in my imagining this picture. It probably smells. And many of you will remember, as, as we do, the level of research we did into cribs and their safety ratings and, and review after review to make sure that nothing has happened, that they have at least four and a half stars, um, that uh, the warranty is good and that the parts are solid and secure and that everything would be up to code and that our child would have the best chance at life um, by buying the superior product. And yet Christ came and his first bed was a manger. And again, you, you have to wonder at some level, is this a coincidence? Like, were things so bad? Did things go so wrong that they're looking around and like, we've got nothing. We, we didn't plan for this. What's going on? Oh, look, here's a feed trough. Let's use that. That may lead you to ask an even bigger question. If God's been using and, and, and speaking these prophecies for thousands of years, did he just forget this part? Did he prepare everything down to the minutia but forget to provide a bed for Jesus? Was that on his like last to-do list? I'll get to that when the time comes and then Jesus arrives and he's like, oh no, I forgot the bed. And he ends up in a trough. I love um, what Dr. John Piper says um, to answer that question. He says, it becomes ludicrous to think that a God who wields an entire empire to move one woman from Nazareth to Bethlehem can't arrange for there to be room in the end. Planning a bed for his son was easier than planning a global census. And yet Jesus was lying in exactly the place God planned, a feeding trough. Think about that. God orchestrated a global census just to get Mary to Bethlehem. And yet, because he can do that down to that detail, we have to admit and accept exactly where Christ was to be was in a manger. And this moment, as we look at it, even, even in the, the strangeness that it is, if we can, we can state it that way, it is surrounded by glory and worship. There is glory and worship at this scene, as is right, rightly due the Savior. Sorry. Um, whew. And it doesn't really make sense from a, a worldly perspective, but it absolutely does from a heavenly perspective. Let's look at, let's look at what takes place. Let's, let's zoom back in on that hill and look at the shepherds. The shepherds are out on a normal night caring for their flocks. They're doing what they should do um, like they would every night. Nothing unusual, nothing out of the ordinary. And then all of a sudden, an angel appears. Now, those of you that have been outside and, and you've had a light shone on your face or something gets turned on or you're, you're up in the middle of the night and somebody turns on and you've got that reaction of, oh no, what's going on, panic, that would have been common around angels. We, we know in, in biblical um, history, angels carried with them the glory of God. They shone with God's presence for they sat in God's presence. And so when this angel arrives, as the case in most angelic interactions, the first reaction is fear is terror, is what is about to happen, this is not normal, this is not right, panic, absolute total panic. So much so that the angel says, his first words is, fear not, (laughs) 
like easier said than done. Thanks, angel. Like, fear not. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. A Savior is born. The promised Messiah has come. And he came for lowly shepherds. This was not given to the kings. This was not given to the rulers. This was not given to the great of the city. It was not given to the high. And Israel, an angel comes and says, Dear shepherds, unto you this day in the city of David is a Savior. Christ came for shepherds just like you. And if that was not shock enough, imagine next. You know, we, we've, we've gotten like two jolts this morning and my heart's still at a high. But think about this. So you've got one angel and that's bad enough. And then all of a sudden, the, the curtains of heaven peel back and a multitude, a, a number without count, a, a surprisingly, shockingly large number of angels burst forth into song and praise. Heaven is being poured down. Heaven is being revealed to these shepherds, to these lowly shepherds. And, and they are overwhelmed with the presence of God. And they're saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. This really would have overtaken them. This really would have consumed them in this moment. Think about this. When Adam and Eve first fell into sin, a plan of salvation while in the works was not executed right away. We were told a Savior will come. And then all throughout the Scriptures, we, we've done a study of Genesis recently, and as we went through each scene, it was, is this the promised Messiah? Is this the one to come? Is this the one that we've been waiting for? And we made it all the way up to chapter 11, and we're not there yet. And spoiler alert, if we get back, Lord willing, to the next 39, we're going to go, he's not here yet. Over and over. And then if we went to Exodus and then to Leviticus, all the way to Malachi, we would find ourselves going, he's still not here. And the angels have been there for all of it. They have witnessed, they, they heard God say, my plan will, will happen. They've seen over and over the steps taken place. And then all of a sudden, finally, it is here. And they can't help but praise God. For the Savior has arrived. But then again, we go back to the fact that the defining marker for him is he's a baby in swaddling cloths in a manger. And so there's this beautiful contrast here. The heavenly reaction versus the worldly realities. But that again, is, as we've seen, that, that manger was a key piece And let's look, let's look that the shepherds themselves are a key piece. Look with me at verses 15 to 20, um, that they offer praise as ones who saw the good news. They just had the shock of their lives. Probably the most exciting thing that's ever happened to any of them, or ever will happen to any of them, to shepherds. And Luke has given us an historical account. He's, he's telling us what took place in an orderly detail and he says that, that these shepherds, these lowly shepherds, when they saw it, they made known the sayings that had been told to them concerning this child. They went with haste, and all who heard it wondered at what they told them. But Mary, Mary treasured up these things, pondering them 
in their heart, in her heart, excuse me. They came and they saw the one that had been foretold. Verification again. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloth in a manger. Bizarre scene, something that shouldn't happen, something that we don't see take place. They find the baby that they shouldn't find, and he's just like they say, see him. They say, oh, then this is the Messiah, this is the Savior. So they praise God, God, you have given us a Messiah, you've given us a Savior. We know that because it says the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and all they had heard as it had been told to them. Everyone reacts in astonishment. Everyone except Mary. Mary treasures all of these truths in her heart. She knew who he was going to be because Gabriel had already told her. It's almost as if someone was to ask her, Mary, did you know? She would respond with yes, with no need for four more verses of questions as if she didn't know the answers. Nobody? Okay. Um, Joking aside, the, the shepherds offer the proper response to meeting Christ. Awe and wonder. Celebration and praise. Two of my favorite Christmas traditions is to watch our church's Christmas pageant and to watch Charlie Brown Christmas. And both for the same reason. Both of these events speak to what Christmas is all about. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. It's not about money, presents, or lights and display contests. It's not about all of the good things that we enjoy this time of year, though there's nothing wrong with them necessarily, depending on your heart. Christmas is about a Savior of the lineage of David being born in a barn, placed in a manger, living a perfect life in full obedience to the will of the Father, and then sacrificing his life for the sake of sinners such as you and me. And it's all about teaching us that we are to offer praise to God alone for all that he has done. I want to highlight one last thing in our, our passage, and, and this is a, a very important thing that it teaches us about this Savior who has been born. And it has to do with his name. Would you look with me um, at our final verse? In accordance with custom... Jesus was circumcised on the eighth day. He followed the Jewish customs and traditions. He obeyed the law. So he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And we're told here that his parents listened. They listened to the angel. Gabriel told Mary, you will call him Jesus. So he is named Jesus, just like with um, John the Baptist and Zechariah. It's not Zechariah Jr. It's not Joseph Jr. It's Jesus. And if you look at the Hebrew, his name means Yahweh is salvation or Yahweh saves. What a title. What, what, a, what a title, a description to give this child. The God of the Bible, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob saves. He brings salvation. Salvation from what? From our greatest need. The need of us being made right before our God. The need of us having our sins pardoned and forgiveness being delivered. This child meant God will save his people. And by naming him Jesus and, and giving him that Yah um, title, that means that 
everything from the Old Testament is built up to this moment. All of the promises, all the looking ahead, all of the, the lineages and all of the, the foretellings and all that they were waiting for or should have been waiting for has come. Prophecy after prophecy comes true at the birth of Christ. It comes through in his life and his death and resurrection. We look forward to it even more coming true in his second coming. We see that Old Testament as an arrow pointing forward to this moment in time. We find the Gospels, they reveal this truth to us. And then the rest of the New Testament pointing back and it says, Now, dear Christian, live in this way because of what has been done for you. The promised day of salvation has come. I pray that this series has blessed you and your family. May we never grow tired of hearing the good news that it brings. And know that even today, we can say the promised day of salvation has come. For each one of us, if we but trust in Him for the forgiveness of our sins, we place Him as Lord and Savior of our heart and of our lives, we can be forgiven. And we too can join with the angels in praise and celebration. We too can join with those lowly shepherds. We too can join with the people of Bethlehem. And it's, it's very past. And we can praise God. For whoever I was, that is not who I am now. For I am His. I belong to the Savior who has come to save sinners like you and like me. And that is why we celebrate this time of year. And that's why we point to the birth of Christ we look forward to his coming again. Would you please pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word and the truth it pertains, it contains. I thank you for the blessing it is to read and to um, respond to it this morning. I thank you that you have blessed us over and over through prayer, through confession, through pardon, through singing, and now in reading and hearing your word. And Lord, as we get ready to meet you at the table, I ask that you would be with us. That you would place these truths deep in our hearts. That we would, with glory and honor and celebration and praise, celebrate that a Savior has been born. A Savior for sinners like us. Lord, we thank you for this time. And again, we dedicate it to you. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.